This is James Schofield, and you're listening to Behind the Bottom Line. Before we get into this week's story, just a quick heads up, stay tuned until the end of today's episode. I want to share the strangest review this podcast has ever received. But back to our story for this week. This is episode 9 of season 7, and the story is set in a world that is probably just around the corner, the world of the digital shopping cart. Now, shopping is made ever more convenient for us because of the inventiveness of our computer programmer overlords who use the amazing digital tools that are available to persuade us to buy more and more stuff. Artificial intelligence is the key word here, uh, but it doesn't come without its problems, does it? Because the AI might be very smart, but it's not always very discreet. And that might turn out to be a bit of a problem if you're going shopping in the same store that your partner visited the week before when you were away in Florida. So sit back, relax and listen to The Shopping Cart. As Sally King drove into the parking lot of the shopping mall in Portland, Maine, the cameras at the entrance registered her number plates and in cyberspace, her customer account profile turned on automatically. Which stores would she visit today? On the other side of town, the software salesman began a presentation to Tony King, owner of a chain of department stores and his management team. Ladies and gentlemen, our customer account profile, or CAP software, is the most advanced customer tracking software on the market, he began. By using CAP, you can analyse what shoppers buy when they visit your stores and use this information to deliver a unique shopping experience. Sally took a shopping cart from the line outside the Hal Mart Superstore. She typed her name and customer account number into the keypad and put on her headset. Hi, Sally. Nice to see you again. These are some of the things you've bought the last few times, said the friendly voice from the shopping cart program as she pushed it down aisle one, past the fruit and vegetables. By analysing what customers buy when they come to your stores, you not only improve your stock control, you can also remind customers what they bought on their previous visits, the salesman continued. In aisle three, Sally stopped and got some cat food, as the cart suggested. Tony hadn't bought any last week while she was visiting her mother in Florida, even though she'd asked him to. He never used the shopping cart computer. All he needed was the account card, he said. Sally suspected he didn't really understand how it all worked. Unlike her, he wasn't very good with technology. And based on what they bought in the past, we can predict a lot about what your customer is going to need in the future, continued the salesman to Tony. For example, believe it or not, with this software, you can predict with 90% accuracy if your female customer is going to have a baby or not. 
How the hell can you do that? asked Tony. They, or their partner, buy a pregnancy test. And three months later, they start buying vitamin and mineral supplements and lots of body lotion. Sometimes we know the good news even before a customer's family or colleagues. The salesman laughed pleasantly. Tony glanced across the table at his personal assistant, Anya. Their eyes met for a moment. Then they both looked away again. Sally stopped by the candy section in aisle five, puzzled. According to the shopping cart, someone in the family had bought a box of Belgian chocolate truffles here last week. It wasn't the kind of thing Tony liked, so it must have been one of the kids. Expensive, too. But CAP isn't just based on the information collected from your customer's credit cards or customer account. We buy more data from other data collectors and add it to each customer's profile, said the salesman. Then you can see if they've bought a new house or automobile, where they're going on holiday, if they're getting married or divorced, and even what they're looking at in the internet. And this means the program can make them special, customised offers while they're actually in your store. By the way, Sally, said the shopping cart, we have a 25% discount on Californian champagne this week. You can find it in aisle 22. And if you'd like to plan a romantic weekend away for two, we've got some great deals with our partner hotels in New England. Press 1 on the keyboard if you'd like us to mail you some brochures. Sally pressed the pause button on the keypad and wheeled her cart over to the customer service desk. Are you having any problems with the shopping cart program today? She asked. It's been kind of weird. No, ma'am, said the assistant. I haven't heard anything from the IT department this morning. Hmm, thought Sally, as she turned the program back on and pushed the cart towards the household goods section in aisle 14. Tony and I haven't had a romantic weekend for more than ten years. Well, said Tony, Cap sounds amazing. But do we need something this sophisticated for our stores? I mean, we track our customers already to a certain extent. Yes, sir, and that's why you should think about upgrading your technology now. Many of your competitors in Portland are already using CAP to analyse spending profiles. Do you want to lose customers to them? Sally's cell phone rang. It was Billy. She could hear her other son, Jimmy, in the background. Mom, can you buy us some more Fruit Loops? Dad didn't get any last week. Well, listen to me, young man, said Sally. You boys and Dad didn't do a very good job shopping last week, did you? Dad went on his own. He said it would take twice as long with us. What other stores use this technology? asked Tony. 
Well, I shouldn't really say, but between you and me, sir, bootlocker, US t-shirts, Halmart superstores, Tony King suddenly felt worried. Sally stood in aisle 14, unable to believe what the shopping cart had just told her. She hadn't needed a pregnancy test for more than five years. So why had Tony bought one last week? She took a deep breath and considered what to do. Don't forget, Sally, said the friendly voice in her ear again. The hunting season starts in two weeks in Maine. If you want to stock up on ammunition or buy a new gun, we have a 10% discount for all licensed gun owners. Just head over to aisle 19 and you'll be sure to be able to satisfy all your shooting requirements. Of course, the gun department at Halmart, it was well known for its excellent prices. Why hadn't she thought of that before? And pushing her shopping cart ahead of her, Sally set off towards aisle 19. So to make a change, the shopping cart was not written for Business Spotlight. It was written for an Italian magazine called Speak Up. And you may have noticed I decided not to go for any American accents when reading this one. My American accent is much too shaky and I thought probably it would just end up being embarrassing. Occasionally I like to try to differentiate between the different voices doing different accents. Last week's story, I had a New Zealand accent of a sort, um, but I'm not quite sure what people think about it. So if you have an opinion about whether I should do, do different accents or not, uh, when I'm reading my stories, then why don't you write and let me know? Uh, I'd be interested to hear. Now, the central topic of the shopping cart, of course, is data collection. And I'm a topic I'm really interested in is the ethics of the use of the data collected. I think it's very, I think it's a very interesting topic. And, and since the work of Cambridge Analytica became uh, known to the wider public in about 2018, it's seen as quite a controversial one. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the topic, um, they, Cambridge Analytica collected data from Facebook about voters' intentions by encouraging Facebook users to take part in online surveys. And this allowed them to track their digital footprint so they could see what those people liked and what they disliked and their interests and so on. So that's um, bad enough. But it also allowed Cambridge Analytica to collect data on those people's connections. Um, and they didn't even ask for those people's permission to store data on them. So in its advertising to clients, the company claimed it had detailed knowledge on the interests and fears of 220 million Americans. So this allowed them then to carry out micro-targeting for advertising so they could they could direct adverts at voters to reflect what those particular voters liked and what they feared and so on. Um, and the, and the advertisements could be targeted to suit very, very narrow categories. And this is supposed to have occurred during Brexit and also during Donald Trump's 2016 campaign. Now, political scientists are divided on how effective this micro targeting is. 
Uh, but it certainly seems to be a very dubious use of people's data, especially the data which was, especially data which was gained without informing people of what it was being used for. And I think it is this fact that companies you collect this data and are not at all transparent about how the data is going to be used that is most sinister. Now, of course, shops and retailers in general have far more possibilities to collect data about the consumer interests. When we use our credit cards or we collect loyalty points, um, they see exactly what we spend our money on. And this has been going on for quite some time, but um, accelerated since the early 2000s in the US. And the examples in the story are true. Um, retail stores do actually often know if a customer is pregnant before her family does. Now, the reason why this particular event, pregnancy, is so important for retailers is that it is a time when our shopping habits change drastically. So if a retail operation can get you to start buying from them at that moment, they have potentially got a new high spending customer for a very, very long time. Because if you think about it, when you have a baby, you change the things that you spend your money on quite drastically. So in America, of course, um, there's they make a heavy use of discount coupons. That's um, much less the case in Europe. But um what happens then, the shop or the, the retail outlet um, recognizes from your purchasing that you are pregnant and then they start to promote particular products. There's a nice story, well, not so nice story, of a angry father confronting a shop manager, the uh, shop being Target, complaining about his teenage daughter being sent coupons for pregnancy and new baby products and then sh finding out shortly afterwards that his daughter was actually pregnant and then he had to apologize to the shop because uh, he'd been wanting to file a complaint and of course the shop doesn't only doesn't have only the information that they get from what you spend your money on they can also buy information from other data collection services so they can see your credit card rating your ethnicity your hobbies your religion uh, and so on and so on and really we leave a huge number of clues about ourselves every time we go online. The thing is, most of us aren't really bothered about the question of ethical data collection and data use if it's free. If the internet offers us something for free and it entertains us or is convenient for us, we tend to click on it. There's a famous quote um, from the pre-internet age uh, which was made by an artist about TV. You're not the customer, you're the product. And when you share your information, you become a resource for the advertiser. So it's even truer today than it was then. The thing is, humans are essentially very trusting. And people think, well, I have nothing to hide. What does it matter if they know that I've bought a packet of cigarettes or I've spent my money on suntan cream or I've been on holiday here or there? And the thing is, it might not matter. It might not matter at this moment in time. But if we take, for example, the question of cigarettes, supposing you have signed an insurance policy saying that you don't smoke, it could be that your health insurer in the future will say, mm, "No, uh, we're not willing to pay for this treatment because 
You signed your policy saying that you didn't smoke, but we can see from your online purchasing that, in fact, you did smoke. So therefore, we're not going to pay for you. So that is something that could happen at some stage in the future. Data privacy, of course, is something that the companies, the the tech companies, are not really interested in. I think it's interesting to consider the worldview of our high-tech titans, what what formed it. I mean, if you look at the uh, the background of these people, the educational background of these people, what did they study? What did they what did they learn? So Elon Musk, uh, physics and economics, Sergey Brin and Larry Page, uh, computer scientists, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, My- Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, all dropped out of college. Now these are brilliant people. I'm not saying they. I'm not saying they aren't. How much time did they have to examine topics such as um, ethics, philosophy, theology, religion? I don't know for sure, of course. But on their CVs, you can't see any evidence that they have. And such courses that might help them think more carefully about the things that they create just don't seem to feature. So Facebook has this motto, move fast and break things. And it's exciting. I can understand why data analysts find it so fascinating collecting and analyzing data. And I can really understand this desire to see what the possibilities are when you have this information. And I think that was really behind the scientists or the the, the programmers on Cambridge Analytica. I don't think they started off with the intention of harming anybody. And they must have just been amazed at what they were able to collect from people. And this is what I think is meant by move fast and break things. Because the real world consequences of moving fast and breaking things can be terrible when it destroys online privacy and allows all of us to be manipulated by marketers or much worse by politicians. Another example, of course, is Google. Their unofficial motto for years was don't be evil. Um, And in fact, in 2010, Google stood up to China and said they weren't prepared to support censorship of internet searches using Google, which sounds great. Only in 2017, it turned out that they were developing a search engine called Dragonfly for China, which does exactly that. Now that, because of protests, was then shelved. But there's also the work that Google has been doing for the US military on the development of artificial intelligence for autonomous weapon systems. And people sometimes say, yeah, but look at all the money that uh, Bill Gates and other people um, donate to charity. But remember, this money that they donate might seem huge, but all of them are very careful to make sure it doesn't hurt their commercial interest. And uh, let's face it, it just follows a long tradition of money and reputation laundering that rich people have been following since the beginning of time. Just think back to the pyramids of ancient Egypt. So I'm not a Luddite. It's not that I would like these companies to be destroyed, though I think perhaps they should be made a little bit smaller and less powerful. But I think we should all, and I think it's actually our responsibility, to be much more insistent about knowing exactly what happens to our data and being a lot more careful about it than we are. I don't want to be offline. I like the convenience of being able to look things up easily. But we should perhaps look at search engines, for example, which don't disclose all our information to Google. We should look perhaps for social media platforms uh, which don't see us as a product to be exploited. 
and we should perhaps be prepared to pay for services rather than just gratefully handing over all this data because we don't think it's important. And actually it is. All this sounds maybe a little bit bleak, but actually I'm quite optimistic about the way different platforms are developing, the way different search engines are appearing. Uh, I use, for example, Ecosia as my search engine where my data is not only better protected, I'm also helping to plant trees every time I perform a search function. And I think there are options increasingly available for us to use products that are less harmful and damaging to society. And I just would encourage everybody to look out for them. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Now, at the beginning, I promised to tell you about my latest review. And... Um, apparently behind the bottom line is good for finding matrimonial partners. I got a review this week from somebody called Elena. And Elena says, I wa- I'm going to have to do an accent for this. Please excuse me. I want to meet serious man. Hello, all guys. I know my message may be too specific, but my sister found a nice man here and they married. So how about me? I am 23 years old, Alena from Ukraine. I know English and German languages also, and, well, I can't read the rest out loud on my podcast as I would then lose my clean label status and I'd have to declare myself not children-friendly. Um, and yeah, just a little message to Elena. I don't think my website is very suitable for you. My podcast platform tells me that most of my listeners are women. So, yeah probably not the right place. And um, yeah, I'm not going to put Elena's review on my website, but I'd love to put yours. So please visit my website, behindthebottomline.com, and tell me what you think. Uh, You can do the same on Spotify and Apple. I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to tell your friends about this podcast. That way they can join all the fun. And remember, you can read each of these season stories on my website. Just go to the episode you want to read and you can find there the transcript together with the show notes. And while you're on my website, why not visit my bookshop? Go to the bookshop tab and you can buy Double Trouble, which featured in season five, and Peril in Venice, which is a murder mystery and that featured in season six. Next week's story is the last for this season and is called The Anniversary. If you're married, how successful are you at celebrating wedding anniversaries? What do you think is the recipe for a good anniversary party? I hope you'll be back to listen to it. And until then, take care and goodbye. Goodbye.